We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. As usual, stay tuned to the end of the interview where I'll give you some actionable insights that I learned from my guest. These insights are also in the show notes, and all of the show notes are over at theentrepreneurethos.com. As always, Thanks for listening. Now, on to my guest for today, Jordan Crawford, founder of Blueprint, helping businesses scale by improving their outbound outreach. Jordan didn't really find his thing until 2016, when he started working on helping businesses grow. In this episode, Jordan provides a lot of insights into his strategy and how he uses data. Jordan's approach is to focus on problems, not personas. He uses data about people to identify the problems his clients is trying to solve. For this, he calls data from LinkedIn and looks at people in relevant roles to figure out what the pain points are. He then uses this critical information to help businesses compose outbound messages to target potential customers. Jordan says that there are a lot of great tools that can help businesses, but when it comes down to figuring out what to say to someone and how to say it, something only a living, breathing person can do. Ultimately, Jordan says a business's understanding of the market must match what the customer in the market actually wants. To do this, Jordan recommends getting into discussions with customers to really understand their pain points and what they're trying to do. And this is how his data, he uses data to do that, primarily through job postings. One unique thing about Jordan, as I said, is his data as he looks at the jobs that people are posting, Right. This is a clear sign of a problem or pain point that a company wants to solve because they're willing to spend a lot of money to solve it, right? Hiring someone is a lot of money, right? So now let's get better together. Jordan Crawford, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jari. I appreciate being here. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show. Uh, We got introduced through mutual friend Troy. Uh, on LinkedIn. And I literally looked at one of your videos about clay.run, 
which is this magic tool that I just started using and they just gush about how cool it is. It's got some quirks. It, it needs to be <laughs> <laughs> optimized for speed, yeah. but the premise is really cool. But you didn't even build that. You're actually, you build <laughs> go-to-market outbound email systems for B2B companies. And the thing I love about you is that you say you target the pain and not the persona, which I think is just game-changing and also the best way to tell a story about actually outreach because I'm a big storyteller. And the first thing I always tell everyone when I say, Hey, how do I start a story? You start with the emotion and you start with the pain yeah. because stories are about change. And so is um, trying to reach people to fix their pain. So before we geek out on clay.run and geek out on all the other things that you do, like I always like to say, tell us how you got to do what you're doing today. Oh, so, um, there was birth. Uh, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll start at um, I'll start at the place where my B two B journey started uh, because before that I did a lot of uh, customer success stuff and in uh, and I I didn't really find myself. I didn't really find the thing that I was like this is the thing. Um, and that came in 2016, and I did growth for a YC company, Winter 14, called Zinc. Uh, they had an API for Amazon, and I was their first growth hire and helped them move from one to 100 million in GMV. And that's sort of when I realized, oh, it's growth. Growth is the thing that I want to do. And I have founded a handful of different businesses. I found a business that did some really crazy direct mail stuff. Like we were scanning rooftops to see who had solar panels. We were scraping data to see how many hours of sunlight per year they had. We were like using machine learning to score basements to see if, if like newly purchased homes had flooding so we could contact people like a lot of crazy stuff. Um, and through that process, I kind of realized that my my passion was always in B2B, so I shut down that business. And the last two or three years or so, I've been running this company called Blueprint, uh, blueprintgtm.com. And what we do is we really solve the some of the largest problems that outbound uh, teams have today, which are how do I get data that is specific to my prospects and really, that's pain-based data. So it's data that you're not going to find in Zoom Info or Apollo. It's you know being able to identify what is the data that is connected to the pain that my prospects have, and you know you can find that thing in job descriptions. So I've got a lot of really rich data on jobs. Um, uh, you can find that in changes at the company, whether it's like headcount changes. You can find it on their website, how they talk about their culture and their problems. You can find it on LinkedIn, right? People are posting about things. This data is really everywhere. Um, and then I help them deliver that message to the market at, at scale. Uh, and there's a lot of rocks and bumps along the way. Like it's not, people sometimes ask me for the headline and the headline is like the least BuzzFeed article headline that you could ever imagine. So happy to happy to talk. And I think that's one of the things, which is why I'm grateful that your podcast exists, that People don't talk about us really all of the the cuts along the way and the difficulties uh, in getting here. Yeah, yeah, no, um, I totally agree. I mean, a lot of the times when I'm trying to figure out 
you know, go to market strategy or messaging and positioning for some of our B2B clients because my day job's at Decision Council. Uh, I'm a strategist, such as such a complex, like I'm I sit around <laughs> yeah. in the dark going, yeah, right, right. Yes. don't do any of that at all. Uh, I, that's what they think I do. What I do is a lot of, <laughs> lot of work on, you know, what exactly what you said, not only pain, but of course we do personas, et cetera. But what's interesting is that, you know, you look through all these data sources and you're just inundated with tools. Like yeah. I cannot keep up with all these SaaS tools can't cut, you know, latest and greatest. One, one of the things Troy and I are always trying to talk with each other about is like, what's the stack? You know, how do I do all these things? And what I've come to the conclusion of, and I'm, I'm just curious if you feel the same way, it's like, yeah, there's, there's a tool for that. There's a tool for everything. But what fundamentally comes down to is what I think you mentioned about how am I going to identify the people to talk to? And then how am I going to talk to them? And no tool can tell you that. That's up to mm. people like you and I that can like synthesize a lot of information. So I'm just curious, how do you how do you go through that? Like, how, what's what's your kind of process to sort out that kind of challenge? Yeah, it's a really complicated challenge, and uh, you've hit the nail on the head. And I, see, you know, I see these posts about Chat GPT, and it says people are like. Given this persona, what problems are you facing? And I'm like, no, you cannot prompt your way into understanding your customer. No large language model understands why you as a business fundamentally exist. Now, they can help you uh, hone that message and edit that message. Just a fantastic editor, just a really great editor. But people want to outsource creativity. And so the problem that selling organizations have is generally they're focused on how can I get a deal right now, as opposed to the more important first principle question, which is, what can I say that none of my competitors can? What is unique about me? And what counterintuitive insight do I have about the problem? And once you do that, then you need to find what public data exists that can identify that someone is struggling with this problem now, that there's both a timing component as well as a sort of first principle component about what problems do people have and where do those problems leak online? And that's those are the two questions that you must answer. Uh, why am I unique as a business? Why do I uniquely exist in the world? And how can I find public data that indicates that a customer is currently trying to solve the problem that I solve in an inefficient way? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, interesting idea. Because in storytelling, there's this thing called surprising yet inevitable ending, where any good story starts off with, oh, my God, I wonder what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, someone says, oh, yeah, how come I didn't think of that? which I think is exactly what you do. I mean, I love the whole idea of you can't prompt your way out of a solution and, and that this stuff's a fantastic editor, which I agree on. I, yeah. I was talking to someone today um, before I got on the phone with you or the, the Zoom with you. And uh, we were just talking about how everyone's freaking out about AI, GPT-3. Do I need to you know, fire my SDRs? Do I need to fire my marketing department? It's just going to create content for me. And I'm all, no I yeah, mean, it's just going to raise the level of the noise. So yes. you mentioned a lot about uh, why am I unique, which I really love, and then public data. 
Um, can you talk a little bit more about the public data? I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned all the tools that everyone uses, Apollo and Bombero. Uh, I can't even say it. You know, <laughs> all the, the <laughs> tens of that. I mean, there's like 10,000 MarTech tools, right? What, what, what is this public data and then how, if you could just talk about it again, what you're comfortable with, yeah. how do you put it together to sort of the thought process? You know? Yeah, this is, this is a great question. And let me, it's always easier to understand this by examples. So let me actually run you through an example of something I did this weekend for a client. So I have this client that, uh, company's called Hirefly and they are an AI sourcing tool. So they'll help you source candidates for you to book interviews, right? And you can imagine that uh, right now the market is super crowded because everyone stopped hiring. So all these traditional hiring agencies are hitting up the small number of companies that are still hiring. So this is a challenge and let me like walk you through the workflow of um, something that we built to both identify and also sugar the pill about how to get in front of these folks. So the first thing that we did is it turns out that some of their current customers are earlier stage companies that don't have any talent folks, right? So they had this unique insight and I said, what about your current customers are the same? And they said, well, they're founders and they don't have um, any HR talent. It's like, okay, great. So what I did is I pulled every company that has received over a million dollars in funding that's relatively, I don't know, sub a 100 people or something. Then I found all of the HR talent folks at those companies. And then I eliminated those companies that had any HR talent, right? So now I have a list of funded companies that have no HR, no one in the HR department. Okay, great. Um, but that's not enough because it doesn't matter if they're not hiring. If they're not hiring, we don't I know that they have a problem. Well, I have two data points here that can be helpful. I not only, I'm monitoring jobs. That's what my product does. I can, um, every day I search tens of thousands of companies and I'm saying, are you hiring today? So I have two data points. The first is I know how many jobs you have open and I know how long those jobs have been on the market. I check every day. So now I know you don't have any HR people. You have an open job. You, your jobs have been open on the market for a long period of time. But I go a step further because I need to break out of the noise of the traditional recruiting industries. So what I do is I, I pulled all the founders of those companies. Uh, and to expand this, I probably would go with any senior leadership. And then I used Clay as a tool with a feature that I built with them to identify public posts. So I found any posts in the last 30 days that have mentioned hiring. So, and there's one other trick I do here, which is once I find the post, I the company doesn't comment themselves. I have someone else tag the company and say, hey, Jari, you should meet my friend Jordan. Jordan does X, you two might get along. So it feels super organic, right? So that's like an example workflow that I deploy with my clients that not only identifies companies with first principles, but there's multi sort of steps here in the data process so that I can say the same thing to all those people because I know they're in the same bucket. They have a lot of jobs that are on the market and I can sugar the pill in the way that I approach them. Hmm. So is this like ABM or ABM sort of, I mean, what's the, I hear this buzzword. It's top of mind for me. So 
Yeah, don't. Well, no, 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 no. I mean, no, I, I, yeah. like, I like how you're worried. I'm going to be like, no, you are wrong. Well, well, it's the buzzword bingo of the day. I mean, and to be honest, that's just top of mind because I'm working on it with, with a bunch of clients right now. And I'm trying to figure out and parse the true components of what's ABM, what's segmentation, what's mass. There, there's this swirl of people say they do that, but they really don't. Like, it's really... It's interesting. I just love your take on like the size of the of the solution space you're going after. I mean, are you going after tens of thousands? It sounds like it's not, it sounds like maybe hundreds, not thousands and thousands. Yeah. I mean, the company list started at 10,000 or so, and you know, then we culled it down down to 5,000. And then we we maybe have a couple of hundreds of posts here. But the thing is that the LTV is so high that um, that's the point. The point Mm -hmm. is that you're really trying to score things from sort of an A plus account. And I know they're an A plus account because they match all of the first principles thinking about who their customer is. Um, Let me talk about this notion of ABM, because when people think about ABM, two things usually come to mind. It's intent data and also things like firmer graphics, like 100 to 200 employees in the United States. You know, maybe there's even some growth metrics there. And like, let's first tackle the world of intent data. Intent data is a problem because it's a gigantic black box. Intent data is really the B2B Facebook of targeting. It's like, don't trust yourselves. Trust us that we can tell you who is in the market. Now, we're not going to tell you if it was an intern searching for your product at sales, but someone in the Salesforce tower typed in your name in G2. And it's like, okay, great. That doesn't tell me what to say to them. And this notion that they're in market, it's just this is just a way to to harass people in a uh, uh, less clear way than you know. It's like you just harass fewer people, I think, with intent data. So that's kind of how I feel about th- this intent data. It really doesn't tell you who to target or what to say. The firmographic stuff, I I think about this in a little bit different way. And let me tell you how I solve the sort of this firmographic problem. One of my customers is the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, and they have this talent pipeline initiative. And it's really designed to help industries that need, um, that basically have a a workforce that, you know, coal mining, et cetera, like a workforce that needs to be reinvigorated, that they need to build like holistic talent pipelines from uh, sort of how do you get more people into the field, et cetera. And so the way that we've gone about scoring the market is we've looked at historical jobs data over the past year, or I've got terabytes of it. And the way that we're dancing with this data to determine this sort of ABM list is we look at the roles that they target as an indicator about how companies are thinking about the problems. So we found, I don't know, 50 keywords to identify the sort of four key areas that they target inside of talent jobs, words like promotions, upskill, talent calibration, uh, uh, succession planning, demotions, recruiting initiatives, uh, uh, talent management, workforce planning, turnover management. So we now have a way to rank the companies by the problems that they are struggling with based on the number of keywords that are found in their people jobs. And this gives us an A, an A quote unquote ABM list that we can now stratify by, wow, 
And when I search my database, I find the job with the most number of those keywords. And that gives me this wonderful layer of I know what companies I should target. And I know the buckets of pain that they are currently struggling with. So I can stratify my market by pain. Hmm. So hmm, interesting. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Because, well, you know, you hear a lot about intent data as well. So, I mean, there's both B to you know consumer intent data, obviously B two B intent data. There's a lot of intent players out there. It seems like it's on the verge of actually being something people have to pay more attention to. It's a lot of noise out there. Like, it's it, who, what is it? What you know? To your point, is it just the intern or this or that? And it just seems like the data, the data architecture on how to do that, how to use that. Well, like anything that I've seen where here, here's your terabytes of data. And you're like, well, what the hell does it mean? I have no idea what this means. I get this all the time. You know, I always have this this sort of thought process of um, if you really want something useful out of it, like some some intelligence or wisdom or insight, you know, that's 10,000 10, data points behind it, behind the arrow, right? Like getting you to the point where you can actually make the three bullet point presentation to the board. Um, and I don't think a lot of people have the talent, honestly, to synthesize all that. I mean, you know, I used to be an engineer. Like I used to, I used to, my job was to optimize yields and semiconductor foundries. So like oh, I'm cool. used to, you know, I'm used to lots and lots of data. And then I worked at a biotech company that was doing DNA sequencing, which was every run seemed like it was a terabyte, right. Of trying to do genomic sequencing. And so even I struggle with this and I know what I'm doing. Right. So I'm just curious, like how, I mean, do you see the same thing? And like, some, of course you mentioned some of the tools you've built to sort of like make this, I guess, more the intent data, more actionable, or I just find this very fascinating because I see all that. I see all the posts. I follow all the people. I listen to all the stuff. And I'm just getting down to the point where, yeah, maybe first principles, we should just sort of step back and be like, okay, let's do what we would normally do in a hypothesis scientific experiment. Kind of thing. Well, the, the hypothesis thing is right. And, uh, you know, I was chatting with this other founder uh, today, this morning, and he's like, Jordan, I like, I'm thinking about personalizing my first line and da da da. We're going after these companies that do like uh, nursing care. And I said to them, and I'm like, look, you already have the list of people send the easiest message you can to 200 of them. I'm like, I wouldn't tell you that advice if you're going after B2B tech, but it may be that your market is just so far in the past that they're not getting hit up that, and a lot of this is really just market conditions. And so there's just some things that you can't message your way out of. And uh, so I said, look, try the laziest thing. Because why are you going to put in all this effort if the laziest thing works? No, don't don't try the laziest thing to 100,000 people. Try it to like 200 people to see if it works. Um, but so, so there's a market component to this. But the other thing I'll say is that there's this great quote that is, we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us. And the way that I think about this is you look at the Apollo or Zoom Info and they have trained us to say, great. What I care about is I care about 100 to 300 employees in the United States. That's what I care about. And the reason that the data is, I mean, the reason that probably the data is overwhelming to you is that you don't have a way to dance with what the market cares about. 
And so um, we should get some time on the books and I'll show you the tool that I built to do this with jobs data because you really need to answer the question, does my understanding of the market match what the market cares about? And I'll tell you a good, good example. I had a customer that they they said, we do contact scoring. And I said, okay, what is that? And they said, well, it's like lead scoring, but it's different. I'm like, okay, well, I looked at uh, 1.8 million jobs at a time. I'm like, not one company mentions the phrase contact scoring. Not one. They all talk about lead scoring. And when you read about lead scoring, they talk about, there's so much nuance when they talk about it. So they'll say things like, based on score, based on the account size, a journey in the funnel, score based on how much they've purchased in the past. That rich understanding means that the customer has a nuanced understanding of the problem that you solve, and they're trying to solve it in kind of the most advanced way. And if that's the case, and you can find that there's a lot of this in their job descriptions, it allows you to not only determine who you should contact, but what you can say to them. And the reason you can do this is because you can dance, you can have a conversation with the market data at the keyword level, which is really, really important. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, it's funny because uh, I had I firsthand experience in a minor way with, you know, give the market what they want and they'll buy it. So I've written seven books now working on the eighth and then working on the ninth. I just love writing books. I know everyone's like, wow, that's a lot. I'm like, yeah, well, the first six, I wrote what I wanted to write and they did not do that great. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you got to get it out. There's value in that. Like, no, there is. I mean, this podcast wouldn't have existed without the book, the entrepreneur ethos. Right. So fine. So then what I did was I, I took this class called, um, uh, authority profit machine by the guys over at designer, this guy, Paul, great guy. And just, it was like, I'm, I wanted that the cook was, you know, make money off what, you know, and I'm like, well, I know a lot. I should try to figure out how to do this. Right. So I took the class and he's like, the whole thing is write what the market wants to read and write a small book, a short book, that teaches someone something that they actually want to know. And I know this sounds stupid. <laughs> and, it, and, 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 and in one sense, it is absolutely bonehead, simple, actually first principles, back to your point of first principles. First principles, just like when you were going to solve an engineering problem, it's like, okay, uh, do we need to break the laws of physics? No. Okay, now we're in the laws of physics. Let's go solve this problem, right? But the best, my best-selling book by a country mile, other than I hope with the, the, the memoir that's coming out in September will be better than this, but is the book I wrote in two months based on this is what people wanted to read. And it was like this revelation. It's like, oh, well, why wouldn't I do that again? And I think to your point, this whole idea of talking, you know, talking the talk that they want to hear, selling them what they want, the pain. I actually love the whole pain versus persona because in storytelling, the hook is about the pain and the emotion and everyone screws that up. I have never met anyone. Well, very rarely when I've worked with them and they're just like, Oh, we're going to talk about the product. I'm like, no one cares about the product. Yeah. You should go to daydream.co great website. And it doesn't say anything about what they do. Nothing. 
It's just like we had this dream, and in this dream, here's what happened, and people were all duplicating work, and and they they were you know they didn't know which levers would produce the most amount of money, and it's like well, and and the end is like we built a product like that. Do you want to hear more? There's no speeds, there's no feeds, like that's all. And if you go to Blueprint GTM, I tried to replicate that same idea, which is just like. You don't know what to say. You don't know who to say it to. You can't get your message delivered. Like these are the problems of our day and I'm working to address them. And then I don't go into anything about who I am. And Jerry, just what you were saying earlier about um, editing, really, I love the quote, I'm sorry I wrote you such a long letter. I didn't have time for a short one. Yeah. And that's, that's you have to first understand your salute. It's like weird because... There's the, the two problems are you first have to understand your solution to understand the problem that it solves. But even before that, it's really hard to know what markets are craving what you do. Yeah. And that's just like it's 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 big, it's hairy, it's hard to you can't really dance with that data. And all these tools, all they tell you is like, here are companies. They don't tell you you know, who, who, who wants a milkshake for their ride into work, right? They don't tell you that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, it's the insights, it's the knowledge and wisdom, as I like to say, I I always have this heuristic in my mind. There's data, statistics, analytics, insights, intelligence, and then wisdom. That's sort of the way I think about it when I write it down. And when I talk to like, you know, heavy, you know, heavy duty data people. I try just to make, make myself look smart. <laughs> so it worked. <laughs> e- yeah. Well, thank you. Each point along the way, there's a distilling, right? So the wisdom, you can think of that at the boardroom, like what does a board want to see? The CEO is going to do three bullet points on whatever initiative. That's all they care about. Those three bullet points were probably hundreds of thousands of rows of data to distill to that point. Because everyone along the way has their different take of it. And I think to your point about the pain, what's the pain that this particular buying committee or whoever you want to say has, where in the market do I go address that pain? That is the absolute secret sauce of this figuring this out. And that cannot be done with a bot. It cannot be done with throwing terabytes of data at it unless Mm -hmm. you as the human, you know, pulling the dials in the machine, or like you say, dancing with the data, you're going to, you're just going to, and I actually had a, when I talk to people about this sort of thing, I actually would challenge them to shut their ads off and say, you're wasting your money on ads. And they're like, I go, I could save you 25% right now of your marketing budget. They're like, what do you mean? Go shut your ads off. And they like freak out. I'm like, how do you know it's working? They're like, oh, I don't know how it works. <laughs> yeah, right. 50% of my marketing spend is wasted if I only knew which 50%, right? That's um, exactly right. And that's the thing, which is, which is shocking though, because it's the thinking of it differently. It's I love the first principles, the hypothesis. It's the critical yeah, thinking yes. that goes into it, right? Yes. And, and this is the problem with almost everyone that is doing outbound. And part of this is just the VC nature of you must grow at all costs, uh, you know, uh, t- next week, you can't invest any time. I, I I do ironically. I do cold outbound. I never have to get leads with cold outbound. I just publish on LinkedIn, um, and you know, nine months down the road, people will come out of the woodworks and say, "I liked your content. I'm really interested. They they like the way that I think." 
Um, and so it became this thing, which is like, I got no leads until I got way too many leads. Um, and I'll tell you this about sort of dancing with the data. One thing I learned in grad school is that the nature of academia was such that a paper would take two years. So you would have a hypothesis, but so much was writing on that hypothesis, you could manipulate the data to say the thing that you wanted. Um, and that is so key. And and this is the problem that sellers try to is like, how can I get your attention? And people are always looking for hacks and and they're not answering the question, why do you uniquely exist? And if you have a strong opinion about that, how do you find the people that uh, should need you and then test that? And once and if you do this in small chunks, and it doesn't take much, 200 to 600 people sending an outbound message, and you just get really good at testing your hypothesis, all go-to-market is is closing the gap between what you think you know about your market and what the market knows about your problem. Go-to-market is just closing that gap. And that's like adjusting your product, adjusting your message, adjusting your targeting. Like, And that's why it's so hard is no one has a systematic way to do that. And instead of thinking about it as a systematic problem, they think about how can I, these are the people that I sell to, how can I get their attention? And if you get their attention, you don't know how you got there. You can't reverse engineer that. You can't scale that. It's just like something dumb... You know, and usually when companies scale, it's like because they happen to be at the right place, at the right time, right place, right market, not a lot of competitors. Yeah. Yeah. The whole P hacking thing, you know, where they can like. Oh, yeah. 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 P that's so like, oh, well, it's statistically significant. And I'm just <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, what did you take out of the data set? I, I you know, it's yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> just, just getting back to that. So I never believe any clinical data, any clinical trial that doesn't show at least a 10x improvement or like two to three X it's between two to three to 10 X, like absolute, because anytime you say 10%, 20%, Oh, it's statistically significant at 20%. It's like, that's in the noise, man. Like you can't like, yeah. you know, and, and that's one of the things that's interesting about some of these growth hackers where they'll be like, Oh, well, we saw a 2% increase. I was like, that could just be random yeah. because yeah. what's your distribution? Oh, yeah. the distribution and open rate is set 10% and we saw 2%. Well, you're in the noise, well, bro. Well, it's yeah, statistically significant. Yeah, you know? well, well, it's like, um, yeah, well, uh, we, we saw this 2% lift. Well, what was happening in the market? What was Mardi Gras and we saw alcohol? It's like, yeah, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow. It's like, how yeah. can you replicate that? <laughs> well, that's the whole thing with intent data, right? The thing that I, I'm struggling with is how do you set up and how do you really use intent data? Because again, it's it's perishable. This is like a time sequence that over time is different. So therefore, what intent data really matters? And is it the intent data that's doing it? Or is it your overall message that you're actually focusing more on the pain? And over time, as you mentioned, people just realize, oh, you're very thoughtful. You know, yeah, and that's, that's too hard. The intent yeah. data is too hard. You can't yeah. break it down, which is the the problem. It is a it is a Schrodinger's cat thing, which is like the cat is always alive and dead, and you can't open the box. Um, and r really, if you are to solve, if you are to build a car, you need to build the components and understand how the components work. You can't be given a car and told as the mechanic, "Do not open the hood. Trust us that it works." And you're like, "Well, what if something breaks? What should I fix?" It's like you can't. Um, and that's just not, um, unless you can break down the components and approach the problem, uh, 
at the component level, you can start to say, well, how do I make this car faster? Well, okay, it actually turns out that I need to adjust the timing or I need to um, change the ratio in the gasoline, or I need uh, I need better grip on the tires. And you can change all those things, but intent data doesn't let you open that box. And I think that it's trying to accomplish what, and this is kind of a, a challenge with these companies that want to grow really big, is that um, your go-to-market challenge is slightly different than everyone else's. So you kind of need some bespoke data. Like I had a customer that they do machine learning on some of the largest e-commerce brands in the world. And they run like hundreds of thousands of tests on millions of visitors. And I said, well, I can't go to market and say, hey, Apple, you should throw a discount on your iPhone if people click off for five seconds, right? It's like, Apple's like, we can charge double our iPhones and more people will buy. Um, They're not going to be giving discounts. And so what we had to do is we had to go score all the companies over 50 million. And then we had to figure out, do they have discount pop-up banners? Do they have strikethroughs on their pricing? Do they have a clearance section? Uh, how many API calls are they making on their checkout, right? So all of these things indicate that they're buying external solutions, that they're a discount brand. And then what we did is we found the categories that they sell to. And then we took their best performing experiments and I could deliver a message that's like, uh, hey, Jordan, I saw that you sell polo tees and that you're getting wide amount of traffic on that site. We have run checkout card experiments on 50,546 cards. And it turns out that a $5 off discount on second visit is the best way to improve cart conversion rates. Our experiments show that you can get a 236% lift. Do you want me to show you how to implement this for your site? right? That's the level of granularity. And you just can't get that because their business is so unique. You can't just get that from Apollo or Zoom Info, et cetera. It's really relevant to their business. And you just need tools to be able to ask the right questions of market data. Yeah. I wonder if, you know how they have like the web one, web two, web three. Yeah. Blah. Yeah. Sure. Do you think intents at like the intent one or intent two, or are we at intent 0.5 or what's the well, I mean, I do think that the interesting thing with uh, things like GPT-4 being deployed on Bing, uh, once once that thing can stop being suicidal, I don't know if you saw the data. <laughs> yeah, I did. Like, I was like, oh Great. my gosh, it's like, I'm in love with you. And like, <laughs> Whoa, all right, all right, like, let's, let's take a let's step back. If you can ask better data, uh, if you can ask a question of, like Bing, they're already scraping this. There's no reason that that uh, uh, Bing couldn't allow you to ask this question with a large language model that says, give me all of, because the messaging is the question. Uh, and that question is, give me all, in, in this case of the customer, give me all e-commerce sites doing over $50 million that are discount brands that seem to hire other solutions to provide discounts on their page that have the polo brand. Like that's the question ask. And the message is the inverse of the question, which is just like you build back up from that question. So really the problem right now in go to market is you can't ask a two paragraph question. You need to hire someone like me to ask that two paragraph question, but there's no reason that with large language models. And if you could focus the crawler on just the domains that you cared about, that you can't ask a nuanced question like that and then deliver value at scale because you're taking 
50,000 domains and turning them into 2,000. And then and then if you can get that message delivered to those people, you can send them something that is valuable independent of them buying your product or service. Hmm. So, okay. Wow. So, so, so it really is in the, what, third, fourth level analysis of like what's really going to turn the knob? Well, I mean, maybe it's the question of, I mean, the, the other way that I like to think about this is like, have your founder with the very most context about your problem, whoever that person is now, who has the most context about the unique problem that you solve, who knows the customer best. Maybe that's the head of CS, I don't know. And then say, it can be to an existing customer, but write the very perfect email that indicates every problem that that person finds and spend as much time, spend an hour on that one email and then all you have to do is make it cheaper to send that message. So you have to break that message into component parts. And so let me give you an example. I had a customer that they unified a lot of your support knowledge. And so when an internal person asked a question, what is our return policy, that would come back rock solid. Like this is the return policy. But it turns out that a chat agent, a phone agent, and an email agent were all using different sources. And so they might all get that information from other places. But the best message that you could send would actually be go and get support from that company. Call them, pull their email, like send an email and write chat. And then take that insight those that, that each of those three people respond with a different return policy. And then bring that to the head of CS and be like, hey, I don't know if you know this, but Larry, Jerry, and Barry all gave me your support agents. And I don't know why they picked rhyming names. It's not my business. Uh, <laughs> but all those people came back with, uh, with different answers about your return policy. Like, do you think that this is like, this is right? Um, so that's the other way to do it is have the person with the most context, like spend all this time doing manual research about the market and write the perfect email and then hire outsourcers, hire data people to reverse engineer to sending that thing at scale. Hmm. So that's actually a really good way to put it. So let me just read that back to you. So, okay. So person that knows the most about the pain that you solve finds a customer or figures out the customer writes the ideal, like this is it, this is it. And maybe even ask the customer, hey, is this it? And you're, they're like, yeah, this is the best thing is in sliced bread. Then you take that, reverse engineer components of it to find other folks that would match that. So right. sort of the, op- is this the, the opposite of an ideal customer profile or is it the ideal pain profile? I mean, I don't, I find this really fascinating because I'm a big fan of solving pain. That's like, I think that's the only reason why people buy things. Um, this seems like a very good exercise to do even in, you know, even in conjunction with, you know, people talk about the ideal customer profile, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just curious. Well, I think that the ideal customer profile is an attempt to extract structured knowledge out of the head of the person that has the most nuanced understanding of the problem that you solve. Um, But that doesn't actually connect with market data. It's a, um, it's a little bit of mental masturbation that it's like, well, our existing customers look like this. So our new customers will look like this. Uh, but 
the best way to do that is actually to put that person on the football field and have them uh, tackle market data, have them tackle a real customer with a real problem. And it's okay even if they're writing insider baseball, like even if they're writing to customers that you just closed, right? So the question is like, go research this customer. And usually after you chat with enough customers, they'll they'll tell you some like weirdly specific stuff like, oh, well, we tried SAP for eight months and then we decided to remove it after our one SAP administrator left and we didn't know what we were doing. They'll say like some really weirdly, you're like, that's so weird. Like, and then you need to be able to say like, well, who else is, are, are in these same shoes? It's like, well, we had a, like, for example, um, I, I lament this test because it got me more customers than my customer, which is a problem. But what I did is I looked at segment gave away this thing called the free, they gave away, like they give away their product for two years for free. And I was working with a competitor of segments and I said, all right, well, what are the conditions that segment would give away their product? Well, it has to be a startup that raised less than $5 million at the time that they installed it. So I looked at all the install dates and then I forecasted for like backwards in time and said, okay, well, who's installed 18 months ago that had these conditions that had raised X amount of capital that time. And, and then I had market data as to what segment was charging. So I could send a message like, Hey, Jordan, I don't know if you know this, but you have an, uh, a $20,000 bill that in two months is going to come due from segment because your free trial is ending. What if you could continue your experience just like segment, but not have to pay. And they're like, they're like, we're happy with Segment, but how did you send this message? Who did? I'm like, oh, no. So I got more leads for that than my customer. But that's the type of like, and, and you know, in this case, all I was doing was saying get more freeness, which was not a terribly compelling message. But that type of thought process is like um, the right way to, to do this. We could uh, we could talk all day. <laughs> we could talk all day, and I'm really thankful that Troy uh, introduced us. And oh, me too. Thank you so much for your time. This has just been so fascinating. Again, it's like one of these things that's top of my mind. Trying to figure out the best way to do this for not only clients, but just I'm just fascinated by it being a data nerd and, and trying to figure out how to make sense of the world. So we didn't uh, talk at all about my entrepreneurial journey though. I, I well, like, we <laughs> sort of did. I mean, this is the thing about, about what we talked about that every entrepreneur needs to figure out. Yeah. And actually you, you said it a bunch of times, which I think is really great. You have to have a hypothesis and then you have to go prove your hypothesis. And the best place to start is what pain are you solving and don't have any ego about it. And also the one that was even better is, find what the market wants to buy. <laughs> yes. Well, and w- and one thing I'll say about that is that I, I'm upset. And earlier on, I'm really obsessed with what pool to play in uh, mm. because the pool that you play in makes all the difference. The only reason I have so many leads right now is not that I'm doing something just like breakthrough different. It's that no one has cracked this yeah. and people are desperate for a solution. So the um, uh, Mark Andreessen has this great post of like, is it the team? Is it the product? Is it the people? Um, is it the market? He's like, it's the market every day of the week. It's like, yeah. I've seen like bad people with a bad team, like, uh, and a bad product do really well in a, in a great market. And so yeah. the only thing that you need to do as an early stage founder is does it, if you spent six months on this, does it still feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill? And if it does, then you need to play in a different pool because you just, you cannot, uh, it, 
you cannot push your way out of this problem and you'll, yeah. you'll spend your life in misery. And the other thing I'll say is that the other intersecting circle that's really important is, do you have founder market fit here? Yes. And in my last product, I was selling into B2C and I just didn't have any experience in B2C growth. And it's like, I could spend my whole life learning more about B2C growth, but I have experience in B2B. Why am I playing in a pool that's not my pool? Oh yeah. Like there was a company I was at called Lab Sensor Solutions. Exactly that. Like it felt like the boulder for years. We were just pushing up. And it was funny because it was in healthcare, digital health, which was yeah, it was I, I feel you. I feel exactly that pain. <laughs> and that's interesting that it's a six-month time frame and it's, you know, it is. You have to make a real choice, I think. Yeah. Right. And I love the analogy of playing in a different pool because it is, it's these things, you just got to go find your place. And again, appreciate your time. Just so sure. fascinating, you know, really love the conversation and just like a very thoughtful take on how this all works because a lot of people get stuck in the, I got to spend all this money on tools. I got all this data. Now what? And it's yeah. like, yeah, the now what is the hard part. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, you can't yeah. growth hack your way out of this, guys. Yes, it's yes. important that you understand these things. And yes, as a marketer, you're going to have to know a little bit about science and the scientific theory and the scientific method and hypotheses and tests. So yeah, appreciate your time, man. It's been sure. great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jordan, for uh, doing the interview. Totally fascinating and super clever what you're doing. Again, I've always thought having a unique kind of perspective on um, different ways to find intent was just is super cool. So I really, really dig what you're doing. So as promised, here are some actionable insights that I learned from my interview with Jordan. According to Jordan, AI and other MarTech tools can be helpful, but they only take you so far. You need to be able to have dialogues and to use critical thinking to get the information you need to craft a message that will lead to sales. And um, I mean, how apropos, right, with all the chat GPT stuff and everyone's like, AI is a savior. Well, I mean, you got to learn to use the tools. But I think what we've been seeing and finding out is that that stuff can only get you so far. And just imagine when everyone has access to it, then like the, the, the level of noise will rise. I mean, the standard will rise. But to get above the noise, right, you're going to need to have some original thoughts. So, you know, while you do need to learn the tools, you know, ask yourself questions like, you know, what's unique to what I do? How can I give myself an advantage that's above and beyond these automation tools? I mean, something to think about. Again, we're in the fast and furious phase of all of this. So um, really take a look at that. The most important questions to ask are, what can I say that none of my competitors are saying? What is unique about me and what, what counterintuitive insight do I have about the problem? Then do research to figure it out and get a clearer picture of what your potential customers struggle with. So this falls on from the, from the point before, right? It, it, the, the thing about AI and all this machine learning and all these chat things is that they can only tell you what's been done before. It is going to be hard for them to think about strategy and connect the dots that's in your head because they don't know what's in your head, right? At least not yet. <laughs> Let's hope that that doesn't happen. But you know what I mean? It's really important to be able to think through and have rational thoughts and see where you're unique, right? So really, really pay attention to that when you're doing your business. 
Research and using keywords, right? Keywords can help you figure out the pain points and how to best craft your message. Potential customers are looking to solve pain points, and the faster you understand the pain, the easier it will be to get them to talk to you. So this is, I think, the most important thing about intent data and data related to all sorts of, um, you know, tools and, hey, they're ready to go, and this is a marketing qualified lead, and, you know, trying to figure out this real challenge. Because, again, this is a real challenge. How do you know when someone's in market ready to buy, right? Well, that's why I think what Jordan's doing is pretty clever. If they are looking for a job or posting a job for a person to do that, clearly that's a problem for them. What are some of the other things that you can think about? What are some of the other intent signals? And there's lots of intent tools and there's lots of ways that people do this. But, you know, obviously, if everyone has access to that, that's just going to raise the standard for which to jump to something, right? Like, how are you going to know and get above the noise? So think about that and see how um, that goes. So there you have it, the actionable insights I learned from my interview with Jordan. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and, frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.